Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome to Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life, featuring the expository story preaching of Dr. John Katzian. Do you ever get discouraged waiting and waiting and waiting? Do you ever get discouraged waiting for God to act, God to move? And you want to go, please, God, do something now. But what's interesting is the Bible is full of what I call waiters. God loves to have his people wait. Why? Because waiting forces us to look to God. Waiting forces us to put all our trust in him rather than ourselves. But man, we hate it. But the Bible says there's something special about waiting, right? In the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, it talks about those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. But alongside with waiting and patience, there's something else the Lord loves, and that's faith. In fact, it talks about in the book of Hebrews, if you do not live by faith, it is impossible to please God. That's what it says. And there's something about faith putting your faith and trust in God. And there's something about waiting and patience. And man, those two things sometimes tie together. And it can get discouraging as you wait. But the thing that keeps you from discouragement is putting your faith and trust in God. And in today's story, we meet a man who personifies what it means and what it takes to live by faith while waiting patiently for God. And you know who it is? We'll find out here in a second. But let me back up first and let's finish off with where we are right now with Joshua, right? Joshua went and fought that coalition of five kings in the southern part of Canaan land. And he totally destroyed them, totally killed these five kings, hung them up in front of his people so that everyone could see that these five kings were destroyed. And then, in quick raids, Joshua then takes their cities. He wipes out their kings and now takes these leaderless cities and devotes these towns to utter destruction. First, he took Makeda, then Libna, then Lachish, then Eglon, okay? And he's fighting all of them right there. Then he goes into the heart of the southern part of the promised land, and he defeats two major cities in the area, Hebron and Deber. And it says in Joshua chapter 10 that all these kings and their lands Joshua conquered in one campaign because... The Lord, the God of Israel, fought for Israel. I mean, 
Remember, in the last campaign, God literally fought for Israel. How? By chucking huge rocks from the sky on the opposing armies and taking them out. It says more people were killed by these hailstones or these rocks falling from the sky than from the Israeli army. Literally, God is throwing a rock. There's one guy gone. Throws another rock. Boom, boom, boom. Skipping the rocks. Taking out whole masses of people. God is literally chucking rocks for Israel. Man, that must have been exciting to see. And they take the southern part of the promised land and yay, it is now theirs in one fell swoop. They took it all. Well, they're heading back to Gilgal. That's their base camp. It's pretty much there in the center of Israel, in the center of the promised land. And they're heading there. They're probably exhausted. They're probably tired. This has been a long fight. But then Joshua gets news. Their fight is not over. In fact, their fight is about to start all over again because it says in Joshua chapter 11, a coalition of kings from the north have decided to band together just like a coalition of kings from the south. But it says these kings, they had so many troops that their number was as the sand on the seashore. You know when you pick up a clump of sand and you try to count the grains, you can't. Well, that's how many people they had. It was that vast an army ahead of them. And from Gilgal to where they were going to fight this coalition of northern kings was a five-day march. Well, as Joshua would want to do, he does not stop. He doesn't take a breather. It's interesting. All of Joshua's battles were offensive in nature. They were never defensive. They weren't protecting something. No, Joshua, he took the fight to you. Remember, he trekked all night to catch the, the southern kingdom coalition of kings by surprise. And here he's like, let's go get them. But it's a five-day trek. They're exhausted. I wonder if along the way he started to doubt. Remember, I think Joshua was a man given to worry because remember Moses in chapter 1 had to say, don't get discouraged, don't get down. God had to come to him again and again. Joshua, be of good courage. You can do this well. In Joshua chapter 11, as he's marching all the way up north to meet these kings and to fight them, God comes to him and says, Joshua, I want you to know, do not be afraid. It says there in Joshua chapter 11, verse 6, do not be afraid of them. For tomorrow at this time, I will give over all of them to Israel. Man, what an encouragement. Don't get down, Joshua. Yes, you're exhausted. Yes, you're tired. I'm going to give them all over to you. Do not worry. In fact... When you get there, Joshua, I want you to do two specific things for me. I want you to hamstring all their horses and burn all their chariots. Now, to hamstring a horse, right? That's an odd thing to say. 
And what does that mean to hamstring your horse? Well, horses, of course, run on four legs, and particularly their back legs have these huge hamstrings. It's the muscle at the back of your leg. And when you hamstring a horse, what that means is you take a sword and whoop, you cut that massive muscle. And then that horse, it's useless. It can't run at that point. Now, why would God be that specific? Why would God say, I specifically want you to hamstring the horses, and then the chariots they pull, I want you to burn these chariots. These were major war machines. This would be like today saying, I want you to burn all their tanks, burn all their rocket launchers. I mean, when you had chariots back then, you were tough. And that was a scary thing to see. Horses pulling these chariots. And God says, don't worry. I'm going to give these scary forces. Now, now, some people think that the forces arrayed against Joshua at this time, some people think that this coalition of northern kings had 300,000 infantry soldiers, 10,000 cavalry troops. Now, that's a lot of horses right there. And then 20,000 chariots. Think about that. 10,000 cavalry troops. All of them are going to be on horses. And then 20,000 chariots. Guess what's pulling all those chariots? Horses. And God says 20,000, 10,000. Do not worry about it, Joshua. I'm giving them into your hand. In fact, when we get there and they're destroyed before you, I want you to hamstring their horses and burn all their chariots. And I think the other reason God was so specific is, number one, they use the horse in worship of their pagan gods. And by taking out their horses and they're saying, you know what? Their gods are useless. Their gods are worthless. And then by burning their chariots, I think God is saying, I don't want you to trust in horses and trust in chariots. I don't want you to trust in their war machines. No, that's not going to win you battle after battle. No, I fight for you. I will win. You just need me. Burn those chariots. I mean, That was advanced weaponry that God says, you don't need it. You need me. On Joshua chapter 11, Joshua gets there, and this battle is not described at all, really. All it says is that Joshua met them in battle, and it says he struck them and chased them down. He totally destroyed them. And it says there in verse 8 that he struck them until he left none remaining. And then Joshua grabbed all those horses, hamstrung them all. That's a lot of horses, possibly 30,000 horses, and then burns 20,000 chariots just as God commanded. Wow. The Lord was fighting for him. I think these people were running in afraid, not because of Joshua and the Israeli army, but because of this mighty God they served. And then just as they pushed them all out and destroyed them all and took all of the northern part of the promised land, then they turned back to the city called Hazor. 
Now, the city of Hazor was a major metropolitan area in the north. And it was quite famous, okay? And it was one of those cities where everybody looked up to in that region and they were proud of that city and, and it had famous walls and it was strong and it was going to be taken care of. But God singled out Hazer for special treatment because he wanted the people to understand that Yahweh is in control. He wanted the people to understand that Yahweh is magnificent. So I am going to take out the largest city in the area. Hazor was bigger than Jericho in terms of acres in size. It was also bigger than all the other cities in that region. This was a massive place. And Hazor was on a strategic highway where people would send goods up into Babylon and down south into Egypt. And if you controlled Hazor, man, you dominated that whole region. And God said, I want you to turn back and I want you to take it. And that's what Joshua did. He turned back. And he put Hazor to complete destruction and burnt it to the ground. And I think the people of the land, the Canaanites, when they saw Hazor destroyed, this massive, important city, I think they would have thought if Hazor couldn't escape Joshua's strength. If Hazor couldn't escape this God named Yahweh, if Joshua and Yahweh could burn Hazor to the ground, we cannot stand before him. So Joshua took the northern part of the kingdom. Joshua took all of the southern part of the kingdom. They controlled the center region. It says that Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord had spoken to Moses. Joshua and the Israeli army and the people of Israel had taken back the promised land. Yay! Huge cheer, huge shout. And it says, so Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord had spoken to Moses, and Joshua gave it for an inheritance to Israel according to their tribal allotments, and the land had rest from war. Now we are going to give the land back to the Israeli people. Now how are they going to do that? Now remember, the nation of Israel had 12 tribes. And God had promised these 12 tribes certain parts of the promised land. Now, they didn't know which part of the promised land they were going to get, but they were promised the promised land. This was their land. They had now taken it back. And so Joshua, under the guidance of God, had said, you are going to get this land and we're going to decide who gets what. We are going to sign it by lot. Now, what does that mean? Well, many people believe what that means is that Joshua wrote maybe on 12 little pebbles and put them in an urn, and on each pebble was one name. So on one pebble, he wrote the tribe of Dan, put it in the pot. On another pebble, he put the tribe of Judah, 
put it in the pot till he had 12 pebbles in there. And then in another pot, he wrote out different parts of the land. This part from this mountain to this river and put that in another urn. And then he put another rock and he put on that from Gaza all the way over there and put that on a rock and put that in the pot. So on one side, he had a pot with the names of the tribes of Israel. And on the other side, he had a pot with the various allotments, the land that the people could have. Joshua stood in the middle. And the people came to find out what allotment their tribe was going to get. So Joshua would stick his hand into one of the pots or one of the urns and pull out a tribe. And then he would stick his other hand into another pot and pull out an allotment. So he would pull out, say, the name of Dan, and he'd pull out from the other urn the allotment that the tribe of Dan just got. Yay! And then they'd find out which was their land, and everybody would be happy. Yay! And this would be exciting stuff. And it looked like it was by pure chance. Pure chance. But it wasn't talks about in the book of Proverbs how God is controlling the lot. Back then, if you wanted to seek the face of God, if you wanted him to make the decision for you, you did that by drawing lots. It says in the book of Proverbs that we may think we control things and we may think we understand things, but in reality, it is God who controls something as simple as drawing lots. It may look like pure luck, but it is not. It says there in Proverbs 16, to humans belong the plans of the heart and we think we're in control and it says there in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 33, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. And back then, if they wanted to work out what does God want us to do, it wasn't by blind chance. No, they were seeking God's face. This is how they did it. Well, in Joshua chapter 14, all the tribes... And all the clans inside the tribes, they all showed up on that day to find out what was going to be their part of the promised land. And I wonder if some of them are like, man, I, I hope we get the part by the Mediterranean Sea. Man, I would love to look out and see that sea every day. Oh, no, 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 no. I want the fertile land in the center where we can grow crops. And no, no, I, I want the stuff down the south where we're going to be able to grow grapes. And oh, this will be exciting to see. But before he draws the lots, somebody steps forward. And the whole nation of Israel goes quiet. Because this man, he's famous. This man, I think he had the respect of everybody in the whole nation of Israel. And when this man spoke, people listened. Who was it? It was Caleb. And I think when Caleb steps forward, a big smile breaks out on Joshua's face. He sees his old friend, who at this point is 85 years old. Now, that seems pretty old, okay? 
But he steps forward and he has a big smile on his face. And, and remember I told you earlier that we're going to meet somebody who knows what it means to be patient and to wait and to wait. But what also it means to live by faith? Well, the person I'm talking about, it's Caleb. And in Joshua here, Caleb begins to recount. Hey, remember, he says to Joshua, remember years before, remember 45 years earlier when we, with the 10 other spies, when 12 of us were sent to spy out the land. Remember that? Yeah, yeah, I remember that. That was 45 years ago, Joshua. And remember how we came back and said, yes, we can take this land. And the other 10 said, no, no, they have giants. Well, do you remember what God said on that day? Do you remember 45 years ago what God said on that day? Joshua probably quietly nodded. Yeah, I remember. Well, it says in Joshua chapter 14 that Caleb says God gave him two promises. On that day, God said, Caleb and Joshua, because you chose what was right, because you put your faith in me, these 10 other spies and your whole generation, they're going to wander in the wilderness and they're going to die out after 38 years. But not you, Joshua and Caleb. I'm going to extend your life. And secondly, you know what, Caleb? I promise you, that where you saw those giants, where those men ran away fearful, where these spies came back and said, they have giants, we can't take them. They have Anakim. That was the name of the giant clan that they were so afraid of. And it was near a city called Hebron, which was in the south. You know what, Caleb? I'm going to give you that land. That is going to be yours to take someday. So Caleb probably thought, woohoo, this is great. I'm going to live long and I'm going to take this land. It's going to be mine. All right, let's do this. But then I think the reality hit Caleb, I wonder. I've got to now keep trusting in the promises of God as I watch my generation die out. And Caleb had to wander with the people of Israel for the next 38 years. And he had to wait for a long time to find out, will God keep his promises? I wonder if he got discouraged along the way, but he kept putting his faith in God. And I'm going to be patient and I'm going to wait and I'm going to trust and I'm going to live by faith. For 38 years, he waited. And then finally, they come back to the promised land. And so, remember, when he's about to go into the promised land with those 12 spies, he's basically at the age of 40. So, Caleb then wanders for 38 years watching his friends and his generation die out. So, when they come back to take the promised land, Caleb is now 78 years old. And then they go into battle. 
and it takes them seven years to take back the land. Seven years to take Jericho and Ai and the center and the south and the north, led by Joshua, seven years. And then finally, standing before Joshua on this day, Caleb says, I am now 85. But you know what? Praise Yahweh. I've never lost my vigor. I've not lost my strength. I've been fighting in every battle, and I am as agile and active as I was when I was 40 as I am now. That's what the Bible says. He didn't lose any of his strength. God took care of him for 45 years. He's been waiting and waiting and living by faith on that promise that God said someday you're going to come back here. And so I think he walked up to Joshua and said, I'm ready to take my land. I want the land that God promised me. I want that land around Hebron. I want it. But the thing is, there were still people living there. And not only that, there were giants Anakim that were still living in Hebron and around that region. And so for Caleb to get the promise of the Lord, he had to step out in faith and go take that land. And it's interesting when Joshua starts to parse out and give out the land, there are still Canaanites and Jebusites and Hivites and all these people still living in the land. Yes, they had wiped out major cities and yes, they had killed many of the people living there. But one of the problems is that the people of Israel did not completely wipe out all the people. One of the problems, for instance, for the tribe of Judah is eventually they get the southern part of Israel given to them, and they never did subdue the city of Jerusalem and the tribe that was there. It says they tried and they tried, but they were never able to subdue that tribe. Why? I think it's because they lacked faith. I think it's because they were scared. And later on, again, some tribes up north, instead of fighting these tribes and putting them to complete destruction as commanded by God, instead, you know what they did? They made them pay tribute. They said, you know what? We're not going to fight you. We're tired. If you want to stay here as a foreign tribe, stay here. Just pay us. Pay us this huge tax called a tribute, and we'll let you stay. They didn't do what God wanted them to do. They weren't living by faith. Not Caleb. Yes, to take this land that God had promised him was going to take some courage on Caleb's part. But Caleb knew the God he served. And he got to know that God, through 45 years of patiently waiting for God to fulfill his promise, and now that God is going to fulfill his promise... He's going to take that faith that grew stronger and stronger over the years as he waited and waited, because that's the beauty of waiting, right? It forces us to put our faith in Jesus. It forces us to put our faith in God. And as we wait, our faith strengthens. Our faith strengthens. And it says here in, in Joshua chapter 15 that guess what? Caleb goes into battle and he takes Hebron 
and he drives out the Anakim, and it says he kills three of them and takes their sons and totally drives them out of the land. Caleb lived by faith, patiently waiting for the promises of God. And when the time came, he was ready to act. Why? Because he put his faith in Yahweh. Why? Because he saw how Yahweh fought for Israel. And he did his part. And he trusted in God. And I just want to encourage us today, as we come to the end of the series here on the book of Joshua, I want you to realize a couple things. Number one, God did it all. Israel didn't do anything in their might. God did it all. God fought for Israel. And secondly, man, I think this is a great story of what it means to live by faith, to wait patiently, but to put your faith in a God who promises to fight for his people. That's the God I want to serve. If you are discouraged today and if you feel like, man, Lord, I have been waiting for this answer for years. I've been praying for my father, praying for my friend to get saved. I just want to give up. God says, don't. Maybe you have some sickness or some illness or something that's just financial burden that just doesn't seem to go away. And you've been praying and Lord, help me. You know, I just want to say, don't give up. Put your faith in God. Because that same God who fought for Israel is fighting for you. Don't give up hope. Be encouraged. Keep fighting. Put your faith in God. Thank you for listening to Baldhead Bible Podcast. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. You can comment on our Facebook page or email us at baldheadbible at gmail.com. If you would like to support this podcast, please check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash baldheadbible. Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life. New episodes added every week.